Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations with experts in the field of sports, typically basketball, coaches, players, front office, broadcasters, maybe today's with a coach that I had a chance to have a really good in-depth conversation with nearly a year ago and opened up my eyes to a lot of the processes of recruitment and evaluation at the smaller college level. The host of the college basketball process, current head coach at SUNY Adirondack in upstate New York, Coach William Payne. Coach, how goes life in the new normal for you? It's uh, Well, I, I don't think that, you know, at first it's going well, but I don't think I am quite as affected as some other coaches are right now simply because uh, I kind of got out into this idea of using social media to uh, gain exposure kind of early on. And so I've, I've been a little bit of a benefactor of that in that I'm, I rely on social media probably a little more than some other coaches do or are just getting in the swing of doing. So things are going okay, uh, obviously, just, just the day-to-day grind and changes, but everything is, everything is well. I mentioned you and I had a really good conversation and you kind of shared a lot about the different levels. Um, and we connected through social media, just as you mentioned. How has that become such a powerful platform for basketball coaches to connect, to network, to share information and to help each other? Is, uh, I, I'm not sure that there is another tool more powerful in the moment. And I'll even go more specific than just social media in general. I believe Twitter specifically is kind of a basketball social media platform. Obviously, it's used for a myriad of things, but uh, I think I think you'll be hard pressed to find and say a year any coaching staff in the country at any level that doesn't have at least one person from their staff on Twitter. Uh, it just lends itself so well to basketball and sports in general, and being able to make those connections and the interactions. Uh, whereas a lot of the other social media platforms don't have the same ability to interact that Twitter does. So I think that it's paramount now to use those platforms in some way, be it just just researching various prospects and recruits or uh, being able to network with other coaches and getting your name out there. I, I just think it's paramount. It's, it's uh, one of the, if not the single most used tool today, I think. You're – Supposed to be heading into uh, your second season uh, at SUNY Adirondack, as we talk about. Uh, my understanding is that a lot of the smaller levels of college basketball across the country are waiting to kind of hear, yeah. for lack of a better term, their marching orders, if they're going to be allowed to play or not. Absolutely. What has been the biggest challenge for you in waiting to hear uh, how the season will play out uh, to prepare? I think if you ask that question to 20 different coaches, you'll get 20 different answers. Uh, For me specifically, it has been just management of our current roster and their day-to-day life on campus. It's been extremely challenging at a small school, uh, just not knowing, keeping them 
engaged, keeping those young people prepared, uh, with, with them knowing that the likelihood of us particularly having a season is not good. Uh, so keeping them focused, keeping them prepared, keeping them wanting to work and, 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 and you know, improve on their craft. And it's been, it's been a challenge because at the end of the day, they go back to the dorm knowing, hey, we're likely not going to have a season. And even if we do have a season, <laughs> it's interesting, we just ended our contact period for um, basketball development last week. And so we're not allowed to do anything else until January. So even if we do have a season, we now have a two-month window where I don't want to say that that it's all going to be lost, but a lot of the progress that we made, uh, th- there'll be some steps and you know backwards. So it's, it's it's challenging just to keep these young people focused and engaged and hopeful and and looking forward to what can be, knowing that it likely won't be. Lots of challenges having to work through uh, as a student athlete, but also for you as a coach, it's a challenge to. Uh, connect with, lead, and mentor young men who are trying to find their way in in life. Lots of players, regardless of levels, look up to their coach for that mentorship, for that leadership. How much more important do you value your role as that person in in a player's life now because of the current environment we're in? Oh, it's it's tenfold because – now not only are they looking at you for the things that they normally would look at you, they're now wanting to know, coach, are we going to be okay as a society? Are we going to be, you know, it's just, it's taken on a role that I never thought we would have to take on as coaches, but I embrace it. It's just, uh, it's added an extra level, uh, you know, some additional depth to that relationship that I wasn't sure that could be added on because, you know, some of the things that I preach is, you know, especially at the small college level, coaches wear so many hats. We're coaches, we're counselors, we're teachers, we're therapists, we're father figures, we're van drivers, we're janitors. <laughs> I mean, we do the whole shebang. And and it's just added a, an additional level to that that um, I, I didn't think we could add on to, but it definitely has. I've embraced it, but it's been challenging because the reality is a lot of the questions that are being asked, I don't know the answers to. And so it's just finding ways to relate and comfort and give them guidance um, the best I can. SUNY Adirondack is, as I mentioned, one of the smaller levels of of college basketball. And and I've always felt that many times some of the best coaches are at the high school level. Many a times some of the best coaches. They tweeted about that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you mentioned having to wear multiple hats. So you have to evaluate. You have to understand the academic piece. You have to then be able to develop players because you don't have a staff of six, seven, or eight. Put together game films and then coach practice and game situations. When you look at the biggest piece of your job on a day-to-day at a small school, what would it be? Are you asking the single biggest piece? Yeah, I guess the biggest single piece. Like where is where is the majority of your focus go each day? Because a lot of parents um, just think that, hey, that coach is, is not thinking about my son on the academics. That kid sure. coach uh, doesn't understand what my kid's role should be. That's, but, that's a phenomenal question, Dan. I'm not sure that I've ever been asked a better question about the role of a small college coach. And honestly, I don't think there's a direct answer to it because what is required of me today may be very different tomorrow. And so I don't think that there's any one aspect of it that, that, takes the majority of my time 
I think it rotates. Um, obviously, managing these young people is going to be number one, but what that looks like and what, what hat I'm wearing that day could be very different. Um, connecting is what I do, what I do more than anything, right? It's, it's just finding ways to connect with my young, you know, with the players, with my staff. And I only have a staff of one. So it's not like I have a huge staff, right? Um, in a typical year, we'll have an assistant and a student assistant. So we don't have a huge staff. Uh, but just finding new ways to connect and ensuring that that connection is understood and that that connection is is cultivated and, and, and continuing to find new ways to do that every single day. But one day it could be me having to be more of an academic advisor. Uh, the next day it could be more of me having to be a disciplinarian. The next day it could be more of me having to be a counselor in the way of just listening. Um, I'm going to, you know, really quick, I'll share a story that um, it won't take just a second. We have a young person who uh, had to miss practice a couple times last week, and uh, he was he was very vague in his, his reasoning. And then come to find out, the only person he has in his life, his mother, is is uh, could pass away any day. And so, you know, how how do you how do you tell that young person at, at a school like ours, hey, you got to be at practice, right? And so it's just finding those ways to make those connections and the balances. And uh, so it, it really just depends on the day what hat I have to wear the most. There is no single aspect that I find myself doing more than another. Um, and a lot of times basketball tends to take the back seat to all of those other things. I'll put a lot of the basketball responsibilities and, and burdens, if you will, on my assistant. And then it allows me to do a lot of those other things that I'm much more experienced and skilled in doing that, that a first year or second year assistant doesn't have the experience in doing. Yeah, that's, uh, that does sound like it's an ever-changing role from day to day, and you have to kind of, I don't want to say put fires out, but you have to figure out what's the most pressing or the most important, whether it's for your team or for a particular individual um, within your team. Now, when we had our first conversation months back, we, had, we talked a lot about the evaluation uh, of, of small college players the recruitment of small college players and how special small college basketball is. Now that's a loaded question, but most people know division one sure. some division two outside of those two levels. People don't understand the difference when a player is being recruited uh, to the national junior college level or to a division three or NAIA. Can you quickly kind of share um, the most important aspects uh, of the recruitments for small college programs? You know, that, that, that varies. I don't know that there is a uh, – to kind of give that same answer, I don't know that there is one single aspect that's more important because the levels vary so significantly. Uh, a lot of times the, the way they don't vary, though, is the way that most people believe they do vary, and that's talent. <laughs> most people believe that that's what truly separates all the levels. And in all actuality, that's – the one thing that doesn't separate them as much. Um, uh, a side note, I want to give a huge, you know, I was wildly ecstatic last night that um, the young man from uh, John Logan, uh, Juco, was was drafted to the NBA last night, straight out of Juco. So when we see things like that happen, it really brings a lot of, uh, you know, spotlight and a lot of attention to the to the non-Division One levels. Uh, but, but, you know, speaking of, let's take John Logan or a school like mine, NJCAA, what we look for is starkly different than what some of the D2s look for, what some of the NAIA schools look for, or the D3 schools. The aspects are very different. Obviously, we're all looking for talented players, 
but we're we're very much looking for different things based on uh you know where we are um the the previous year various things as an example at a school like mine suny adirondack it's very rare that i'll ever recruit a kid out of state right uh just because um in the state we have a very small budget and this goes across the board for pretty much any non-division one school uh if you're a state school you'll find it's rare for non-division one schools that are state schools to have a huge roster of kids out of state or out of region. Uh, some schools are able to offer in-state tuition to bordering school, bordering states, some are not. So you'll see that there's a lot of regional talent on non-division one rosters for state schools. Not so much for private schools because they don't fall under the same guidelines for the state scholarships and grants and things like that. So for me, one thing I'm gonna always look for is in-state first, region second, academics and, and how that all plays into the total package to whereas say a private school like say queen's university in charlotte they're a little different they're a private school extremely well funded uh so you'll see more of a national roster on that school so it really just is going to come down to the institution the culture and a few other things that's so interesting and insightful because i don't think a lot of uh AAU coaches or high school coaches that are ha helping parents and players navigate understand a lot of the regional or state aspects that you're talking sure, they about. They don't. They don't. If, if there was, you know, one big piece of information that you could give to uh, a prospective student athlete and, and their parents, what to look for in a program what would those bullet points be? And, and I know that's kind of a, that's a difficult question without oh, knowing the kids' sure, uh, sure. list of what they want out of college. Right. Uh, well, I, I'll answer that question this way. Uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, what should potential recruits look for in a school? What's the most important thing, right? And, and, and it's debatable. Again, this is another one of those questions. If you ask 20 people, you may get 15 to 20 different answers. I kind of stand firm in, in this outlook with that. Uh, a lot of people will say the school that wants you, that should be the, that should be the number one factor, right? Who wants you? Because, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of young people in the state of Washington that want to play for Gonzaga. Only a few people are going to get to. So the school that wants you is going to matter. And that's true. But I actually think that there's something above that. You'll hear a lot of people talk about the academic standards and, you know, the academics should be number one. As, as much as I push academics, I'm actually a person who doesn't say academics should be number one. And the reason being is the statistics behind freshmen or college athletes in general or college students in general that change their major. It's so astronomically high that someone going in as a freshman who may want to be, I don't know, a pediatrician, 50% of the time they're going to change their major. So, so I don't actually say look for the degree path first. For me, it's always going to be about the culture of the school. One, do you see yourself living there for the next four years? Because essentially that's what you're going to be. Is this the town you want to live in for the next four years? Is this the culture? Is this the environment? Is this what you want? Second, in my opinion, should be does the athletic program, the coaches, the staff, do they want you to be a part of their program? Third, then the overall academics. Um, a lot of the a lot of the degree paths 
that that young people want to look into. They still have to do the prerequisites, the various things that that for the first two years aren't going to matter that much anyway. You're going to have to take them all. So don't worry so much about the degree path in the beginning, as long as it fits your academic standards and rigor and outlook and things. So those are kind of my threefold: is is the culture of the school, the atmosphere, the environment, then the athletic program, then does the academics fit you? Because the academics can be great, but if those top two don't work for you, then that school is likely not going to work for you. Some really good points, and I agree with so much of that. I remember as a high school kid when it looked like I was going to have a chance to at least play college basketball, and then it was going to be on me on how I developed and how hard I worked to determine the level that I was going to be at. But I remember my high school coach as well as an AAU coach that I played for uh, always using the term use basketball don't let basketball use you and I think that's something that use the game right there at the bottom in the red use the game don't let it use you 100 percent yeah I see that now in the background of your slogan yeah. absolutely and I don't think enough people understand that and what that means and I think the way that you expressed about how to look at a potential program is a way to use basketball as a tool to 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 set yourself up for future success in whatever it may be. Last question, Coach, before I let you get going, is transfers at the Division I level have become a really big deal over the last few years. Sure. Uh, I transferred myself from Washington to Gonzaga. I had to sit out a redshirt year. was the best thing that could have happened for my college and future pro career. You're seeing – more and more transfers every single year. You're seeing grad transfers. Now you're seeing waivers uh, to allow people to be eligible immediately. But you hear a ton of it at the Division One level. How is it impacting the other levels as well? Oh, it's there's nothing that impacts recruiting at the non-Division One level as much as transfers at the Division One level. Uh, it's the single biggest and most. I mean, it's by far the most impactful aspect of recruiting. Uh, at these other levels. Division three, not as much, but they are still affected from the trickle-down effects from it. Um, you find yourself, uh, and, and, it, and you even mentioned this once before, it's, it's almost like the Division one teams have to re-recruit their rosters, wait to see if somebody's going to try to poach them at a bigger level or if they're going to want to move, quote-unquote, down to another level. Uh, and in doing so, the Division II schools wait to see who's going to be available because they don't have as many scholarships. So they're waiting to see who's going to be available before they recruit the other, the other player, either out of high school or JUCO or whatnot. Uh, the NAI schools are doing the same thing. They're waiting to see if JUCO transfers are available or D1 transfers are available before they offer kids that they are already looking at. Uh, JUCO takes up about 400 D1 roster spots a year which is insane. There's only about 1,200 openings every year at the D1 level, and about 400 of them go to JUCO. So um, it's just it's, – it's so interesting. I, when all is said and done, after the top 250 players are, are taken every year out of high school, after JUCO puts in their 400, after there's 100 or so foreign players that go into the mix and another 100, 150 prep players, there's usually only about 500 spots left for the entire country at the D1 level. I mean, it's insane when you think about it. So everybody you talk to is fighting essentially for these 500 spots. And, and it's just – it creates this crazy trickle-down effect because 
I know some D2 programs that do not start making offers until May. May. <laughs> right? I mean, don't, they don't make their offers until May because they prefer somebody who's already been in college. They prefer somebody who, who knows what the time management aspect is, who understands, because that's the biggest change in, from high school to college. You can talk about the athletic side all day, but at the end of the day, the biggest change for a high school student to college is time management and everything that comes with that, the academic side, the athletic side, and everything that comes with that. And so this is why coaches prefer a player that's already been in college, because they know that that person understands the time management aspect, the demands, and everything that comes along with it, whereas even the best high school player still has no idea until they've been in the mix. So it, it just, it, like us, we're, look, by this time, typically, I would have already had an idea of what my roster would look like for the following year. Right now, I'm not even sure that we'll have that together until sometime around April or May. I mean, we just we have to wait to see how the dominoes fall. Everybody's being granted waivers this year. Uh, no one knows. And beyond having to recruit your team as you normally would, now you're having to recruit your team to come back in general because – the transfer, there's there's an automatic transfer waiver now, so you don't have to wait that year before you can play. Every single level across the country is now offering an additional year to seniors. And so we now have to determine if these seniors are going to fit the academic requirements to come back, what that looks like, how we're going to work with them. Most of them won't make their mind up until well into next semester. So there's just so many things about this. It, I don't know a single school that's finished recruiting. At all. And usually most would be wrapping up in some facet by now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, uh, it's for lack of a better term, it's the wild, wild west even more now. Everywhere. With it all Everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah. Coach, I know I told you that was the last question. This one is, I promise you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's a question that I've asked a lot of coaches at different levels over the last few months uh, while this podcast has continued to grow. With the COVID shutdowns and the, the, the chance to – with the inability to be around your team on a day-to-day -day basis, last spring, summer, leading into fall, how have you become a better coach? It, you know, that's a great question. I, um, it, it has put me in a position – to see things from these players' perspectives that nothing else has. You know, there's a lot of debate right now about the mental health of players and the mental health of, you know, staffs and young people. And not being able to interact with them has, has forced me to find new ways to make those connections. And I use that word again because for me, and that, that's, you know, a lot of, I'm often asked, why do you love non-Division one basketball? That's very specific, right? For me, it's about the ability to build those connections that the, that NCAA Division One limits you in doing. Not saying that you can't make connections, but we don't have an hour limit on how often I can spend with players. We don't have those kind of things. You know, if I want to pick up my phone and text players, I don't have to worry about what day it is or or you know those you know how many hours I've interacted with them from an athletic standpoint for that week. And and so it's just forced me to find new ways to make connections ensure that those connections are real and, and cultivated and, and um, dig deeper to to know these young people and try to see it through their eyes because they're missing out on a, on a big portion of their of their life 
Um, you know, not to not to go into that that debate on if it's good or bad. I'm just either way, they're missing out on on something that's important to them. So just just forcing me to find new ways to build and cultivate those connections. Well, coach, I appreciate the connection that we made uh, months ago on a conversation to share your knowledge, your experience, your expertise on, on the many different levels. Thanks for joining me today on the ISO podcast. I wish you nothing but the best of health. I wish that you can have a great path and process leading forward to, if it looks like a season for you, the best of luck. If not, happy and prosperous for the next year. So, Coach, I appreciate you joining and take you very much. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports. Brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.